The reasons to treat yourself to a frozen drink from Mickey D's go on and on and on. It's more than a drink. It's a Mickey D's drink. Your new flavor craze is here. From sweet and fruity frozen Fanta Wild Cherry to the classic cool of a frozen Coca-Cola to the tasty and tart frozen Fanta Blue Raspberry. Get any size for $1.59. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it's time for Avoid the Maze. The music you are listening to is by my trusted friend, Jeff Brislin. It's called Enough. And you know what? I think that is a good theme for today with my guest. I have Eric's. Eric, you're going to have to read your name for me because as I'm looking at it, I know I'm going to mess it up. It's a good old <laughs> Italian name. Dario. Dario. Okay. I wouldn't have said it that way, but I'm so glad to have Eric here. And prior to um, recording, um, I was asking Eric why he's working with young people. He gave me a wonderful reason. And sometimes it's a reason that we follow a path in our life. It may have been a path that we never suspected at all. Um, so I'm going to have him explain that to you in a minute. But after he explained it to me, I shared uh, something uh, personal, which I've talked about on this show many times. And that is my youngest son, who is a young adult, um, was bullied all the way through junior high and high school. He still carries that burden on him. And he was bullied because he was identified on the autism spectrum and yet did not fit the mold. And the school was constantly trying to, I hate to use the word, dummy him down. And um, if he had just tried a little harder, he would have been a 4.0 student. So there was no dumbing him down. So our youth today, Eric, are really in a crazy situation. Um, and it seems like so many of them don't trust adults. Mm -hmm. And that makes me sad because I always had a huge range of adults that I could go to when I was younger. So give us a little bit about your background and let's see how we can help the listening people. Awesome. And I just want to say, you know, thank you for having me on here today. I really appreciate it. And I would actually say our, our youth, they're in a crazy time, but I would even say they're in a crisis right now, right? It's a crisis from, I hate to bring this up, but the pandemic, even before the pandemic, they were going through a crisis of mental health. So for me, I go out and I talk to high school and college age students and athletes about making healthy decisions. When you're struggling through that tough time, just like you said, your son was bullied at school, was on the autism spectrum. When you're going through something like that, whether you're getting bullied or you have anxiety, you're going through depression or something's just going on in your life. And it's just, it's really affecting you negatively. I help them make better choices instead of making the unhealthy choice. Like my younger brother, Brendan did, who started using substances when he was going through social anxiety. He just didn't, you talked about a trusted adult. He didn't think, he didn't know he had trusted adults in his life. 
And so because of this, to deal with this pressure, this weight that he was carrying around from his social anxiety, to escape those feelings, instead of talking to a trusted adult, he started drinking to get drunk. And then he realized, oh, this drinking, it's not really, it's not helping me as he thought it would, because he'd wake up the next day and those feelings would be right back. So he started thinking, okay, I'm going to start smoking. That'll calm me down, relax me. But then realized just like the drinking, it's not working. So he starts messing around with the pills. And then eventually the pills lead to him shooting heroin for around five years. Oh, wow. And not too long ago, he passed away from a heroin overdose that was laced with fentanyl. And so because of this, you know, because that doctor came in the room, something that I never thought would ever happen came into his his room and said, look it, there's nothing we can do. You're going to have to say goodbye to your brother and looked at my parents and say, you're going to have to say goodbye to your son. And that devastating moment in my life, I just really, I, I reflected on months after we pulled the plug on his life support and just thought if he had just made healthier decisions in his life, this all could have been affected. I mean, this all could have been avoided. So how old or young was he when he first started drinking? Middle school, high school, eighth grade, ninth grade. He was just, it, it, it's, it's funny. You talk, you know, and I'm a big believer. We all go through struggles. Like, oh, it's, absolutely. it's a fact. Yeah. Physically, mentally, we all go through, I would say, multiple struggles in our life. And this is one of the things I talk about when I talk to high school and college uh, age kids and athletes is that we all struggle. And one of the struggles Brendan went through was he had a bald spot in his head. And this is the big reason why he had that social anxiety. And so he thought to himself, well, ah, he's so nervous, concerned about what others will think about him, what they'll say, how they'll react to that bald spot. And so he did everything he could to try to cover it up, putting a hat on and wouldn't take it off in class. The teacher would always ask him, please take your hat off. No, he'd comb over it. He'd spend truly an hour in front of the mirror trying to comb over that spot, but it just didn't work. And so eventually he gets surgery on it to fix it. And it helps a lot. But that mental thought of it's still there, it's not fully gone, it's still there, really triggers him to start really making these choices of it's still there, it's better, but it's still there. And he's still nervous, he's still concerned, afraid of what others will think about him. So, yeah, I mean, he's he went through that physical struggle with that bald spot. And there are other things, too, that led to him making these choices. But I just feel like that's one of the big things that led to him starting to try and numb and dull this pain he was feeling. Well, and it's sad because, you know, and I've said this on many of my shows, when we're, you know, little kids, up until maybe we actually start kindergarten or first grade, we really are innocent. We could see a bald spot on somebody's oh, head yeah. and just, oh, isn't it cute or whatever, or not even notice it at all. But there's something about the fact that as we get a little older and closer to that middle school age, that we all have a vision of what people should look like, how they should act, how they should dress, what kind of grades they should get. And if there's somebody over here who doesn't fit that mold, well, there's always going to be somebody on the other side who's going to say, hey, this is fun. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to trigger this person. Um, and so we've got to get this stopped 
at a much earlier age. We also, and I'm not blaming it on parents because like I shared, my son was bullied in school. I was as involved as I could be without in, you know, being a helicopter mother, being in his classroom or wherever all the time. Um, and I thought I knew what was going on. Yes, I knew he was being bullied. I did go to the school. I did go to the parents, but I got that, you know, information. Oh, it's okay. And maybe your son's a little bit too sensitive. And it's like, what's wrong with sensitivity? Yeah. Sometimes sensitivity is a cue. Hey, stop what you're doing. Yeah, it's true. So he started with drinking. Yeah. He then got to pills. Mm -hmm. You're the older brother, correct? One of. I have One another of. older brother too. Okay. And did did you have any idea that this is what he was doing? Um, you know, that that's a great question. And this is one of the things, again, I talked to when I talked to the high school, the college kids and the athletes about this is that, yes, I did. But here's the thing. I was so concerned. I was so afraid of others' judgments on me, our friends' judgments on me, right? Right. And what they would think. How, how they would react, what they would say to me if I approached an adult, if I voiced my concern. And so I really, I reflect back on that. And I think to myself, like, how crazy, how crazy is it that I knew he was drinking, he was smoking, and then he was messing around with the pills. And, you know, growing up drinking, smoking, I really didn't think much of it at the time. I really just like so many high school, college kids don't think about their friends or their teammates who are making those choices. It's not a big deal. Not realizing what it could lead to. And then when he started messing around with the pills, I got real scared, real nervous. Because around when me and Brendan grew up, a lot of the older local neighborhood kids were making these choices to mess around with the pills. And I saw firsthand, we saw firsthand, both of us, how that could change your life. How we could just completely flip your life upside down. How it could negatively affect your family's life. What it could do to you in your life. And so I still never said anything though. Even seeing that I still never said anything because of the judgment that I, that I was so nervous. I was so afraid of that other, what they right what they would say, they think they, how they would react. And so I always let the students know that, you know, the most so, important, oh, go ahead. Did, was it something that maybe could you have shared it with your parents? Oh, I could have. I could have, but I was afraid too nervous. Too. Okay. I was still afraid because I didn't sure. want him to be mad at me. I didn't want our friends to look at me, this big buzzword that's been around for so while as a snitch, yeah. right? As someone that was a rat that was, that was telling on him. But I love to say when I talk to the, to the students and the athletes, you're not telling on them, but you're speaking up for them because they truly are struggling and they want help inside. They may not act like it, or it may not seem like it, but they want help. And, you know, I always say that it's the biggest mistake I ever made in my life, not saying anything to anybody, because who knows? If I had said something, if I had gone through with it, maybe Brendan would still be here. Maybe he would still be alive and he wouldn't be dead. So did you talk to Brendan about what you were saying? Or were you afraid of that as well? A little bit. I throw comments here and there like, dude, you know, you got to stop this, right? You, you, you can't keep doing this. 
you know, this is going to, you know, can ruin your life. And he was just so far deep into it when I had the courage to talk with him that I just think it just in, went in one ear and out the other because, you know, it's my brother and I loved him and I didn't want to break that bond. We had such a good bond. We hung out actually with, we hung out all the time. We hung out with the same group of friends. So we were always around each other, always. And I just didn't want to break that bond. And, and, and you know, I see that as being very normal. I think, you know, like you said, you were hanging out in the same group. So there were people in the group, obviously like yourself, you know, who weren't taking drugs, who weren't making bad decisions like your brother. Well, you know, I, I'll actually say that right now I'm, I'm an outlier in that group. Pretty much everybody in that group is either dead, like my brother from an overdose in jail or in recovery. I'm probably mm -hmm. maybe one, I'm probably, there's maybe two of us, maybe, and that's about it. So it was, yeah, it, it was, it was difficult to be in that group, but I, I just, I stayed in it. And I think part of the reason I stayed in it was because I was so concerned. I was so afraid of my, for, for my brother. And so I wanted to be able to be there for him in case something happened. I think that was a, a big part. I, I stayed in it, but eventually I did decide to leave that group for my own good. So let's back up a little bit. You believe that a lot of his insecurities came from this hair loss or bald spot on his head. Mm. And all of us have something that we don't like about ourselves or we think is odd about ourselves. Um, you know, I grew up with two brothers who were fairly thin as, as young boys and teenagers. Uh, once I became in my teen years, um, I wasn't as thin. Um, and back then it was the rage, you know, I had girlfriends whose parents were letting them go on diet pills so that they could be thin. And my mother did not believe in that. And so when I go back and look at pictures, I really was not fat or heavy, but back then I thought I was in comparison to these other friends taking diet pills. Um, and so I carried that around with me for probably 40, 40 years, every time I'd look in the mirror, no matter how much weight I lost, you know, I was that fat little kid, but yet I was never that fat little kid. Um, and I had, to, I've had to break through it and it's not easy, but I too could share that with my mother because my mother was a yo-yo dieter. So when I gained a little bit of weight, she was all excited because she wasn't the only heavy person in the house. Um, and we talked, finally talked about it years later and that was damaging to me, but thank God I didn't get into anything bad, but having a lot of anxiety and distrust for other people um, and looking in the mirror, wanting to look like somebody other than myself was, was horrible. And I didn't have, I had two big brothers, but not that would even, you know, come to my rescue, so to speak. And I know you couldn't come to your brother's rescue to stop all this because this is something that he felt he had to do, obviously. Mm. So 
now you are a speaker, which I think is wonderful. Um, how did that all come about? How did you finally figure out, hey, I can do this. Now I'm going to go into the schools, into the colleges, and try to help the youth out. It's a great question. And I'm going to sidetrack from that question just for a sec. Sure. And just anyone watching this, you have a big fear, just something in life. Know you can overcome it. Because for me, I was horrified to publicly speak. I would be the kid in high school and college. If I was called on, I felt like I was about to have a heart attack. I didn't want to get up there. I do whatever I would do whatever I could not to get up there. But I just saw the importance of this and just realized that the students needed to hear this. So I gained that courage, that strength to actually get up there and start speaking. And I always get nervous before a talk, but it's not like it used to be. So I, I really, as I said, reflected back on that day when the doctor came in and he said to us, you know, you need to, we have to pull the plug. And I just saw that, that, or realized that kids, as we talked about struggle, whether it's physically, whether it's mentally, or both, because as I said, people go through multiple struggles in their life and realize that there's two options. Option A, you make that unhealthy choice, you go down this road and you start using, you start using like my brother did, you start harming yourself or option B, health in the healthy way, you talk to an adult, you start the process of healing, of dealing with what you're going through. And so I, I really, I, I just said to myself, this needs to be heard. Kids are going through too much. I, in my life, have seen too many kids die from this, struggle from other things, make poor choices. And so I just said, this needs to be done. And I just have been devoting my life to this for the past few years to help the youth make better choices in their life. So how did you get into the first school? Because sometimes that's the hardest yeah. because yeah. you hadn't done it before. Now you're going to do it. Yeah. And it's like, well, hey, where are your credentials? Yeah. And it's funny you say, where are your credentials? Everyone always asks me, where are your credentials? What are the, what are the, what are the, the letters attached to your name? And I say, honestly, I don't have any letters attached to my name. I think more importantly, I've been through this. I've seen it firsthand. I've, I've seen the process of someone who has struggled and the choices they've made. And I do get that question sometimes. And I just feel like me, you going through it, you witnessing it, you having those feelings, those emotions is so much more important, yeah, so true. much more important than having those letters next to your name. Because I just, it's not, I think, I know for a fact that when you have a story and kids can keyword relate, they're going to open up. What kids have told me, they've said to me, I have just been like, wow, for you to share that to me, that was, that was brave. Wow. So uh, yeah, it, it's just important. I feel like that you're able to connect with them and I'm able to connect with the students because I've seen this. I've seen someone go through it. And I've gone through it a little in my life too. Not, not making the poor choice, but I've gone through struggles too in my life. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, to get into that first school, it was just simply, okay, I set up an email and I just got going on the internet and I looked up all the schools around me, started locally. And I just got, I said to myself, so who would be the person I would talk to? 
And I started emailing counselors, assistant principals, principals at schools, just every day sending out hundreds and hundreds of emails. And as I went critiquing it, and I finally got into my first school, it was actually at an athletic, it was at an athletic event where all the, all the athletes from the school were coming to, and they were talking about the, the year and what they had to do to, you know, the papers they had assigned. They had someone actually come and talk about vaping. And then I was the keynote speaker on making healthy choices in their life. And then from there, it's just, it hasn't really changed. I continue to email. I continue to look up on websites, people's emails. And yeah, I just, I just reach out. Well, I know how important it is to share your stories because that's what this podcast is really all about is for people to say, Hey, I've been through that, or, you know, I'm going through that myself, or I see somebody down the street who's affected by these same issues. And when you hear somebody else's story, it makes it more real for you. But it also, you also hear about how they got through their challenges. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've, I've watched my younger son just beat himself up. Um, you know, if somebody doesn't call him back that he really was expecting, or if he doesn't get the job that he felt that he really aced the interview for, um, he always goes back to that dark spot. And I can thank God that um, drugs has not been an issue for him. Um, but in the back of my mind, I still wonder, okay? Um, and every once in a while, uh, as his mom and his advocate, I will point blank just ask him um, because I know I can't do anything more than lead him to the support, other support that would, would help him in that way. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, like I said, it's not necessarily about drugs. It's about that anxiety that comes from all the pressures around us. Yeah, And you are talking to athletes who not only have the pressure of their team and their coaches, but oftentimes from mom and dad who are looking for their child to be that superstar. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that can lead, right. That can lead them to just say, I just want to escape this, right. All this pressure, this, this, this feeling that everyone's just looking at me and I'm supposed to do these great things. And then if they don't, amount to what people thought they would amount to and they're not on the path where people thought they would go they start to get these feelings and they start making poor choices because they don't want to feel like that they just want to just relax and just feel really nothing in the moment right now so you're correct yes that can be a big burden especially on a high school or even a college kid that's a lot well i know when my son was in high school um he was the manager of the football team and baseball team and his dad and I um, are amateur photographers. So we were always there taking pictures. And I could see out of the corner of my eye, um, the students who were being bullied, the ones who were the bullies, the ones who were sort of in a daze. And I, I knew, you know, something is either 
creating that daze on your on your face or you're taking substances. And I could easily talk to other students with my camera. And, you know, it was different, but I found I was getting further, further away from my son mm. because I was trying to cure the world. And one person can't do that alone. So in addition to your speaking engagements, is there another way that you get this message out so hundreds and thousands can hear it? I am in the process right now of writing a book. That's, that's another way too, so that they don't only just hear me speak, but then they can bring a copy and they can read it over and over and over and over again. So I'm in that process right now of writing a book. And that's really the only other way. But I also actually do do motivational. I'll put up motivational posts on I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm on LinkedIn also too, and Facebook. So I just, I'm on all those social media platforms and just throwing out inspirational messages on a daily basis for kids who are struggling or who may be, and may be thinking of making unhealthy choices to try to escape those feelings. So you graduated high school, you went to college. Um, were you in college when your brother was going through all this or yes, was that? I was, I was, I, I actually, well, it's funny too, because I talk to athletes because I know the pressures we talk about college, you know, the pressures of sports. I played right. division one hockey, which is the highest level of hockey you can play. So I had all that pressure. Uh, I, I carried weight in college, whether I was scratched from a lineup and I wasn't able to play that night. That was, you know, so that, that was, that was a big burden for me in college, the stress and everything that came with playing sports in college, but also, yes, he was, he was going through this. And it's funny because I would get phone calls from my parents, like he overdosed, it's not good. And I'm in a different state. I'm in mass. They're in Massachusetts. I'm in New York, upstate New York. I'm a six hour drive away. There wasn't really, well, I could take a two hour I could take a two hour ride to Syracuse and then fly out, but yeah. probably the quickest way would have been a six hour ride. So I, I would get texts. I would get phone calls just that, that were nerve wracking that really concerned me. But at the end of the day, I couldn't do anything about it. He wasn't in front of me. He wasn't there. So it was very nerve wracking. And when I would come home in the, in the summers, as I said, we hung out with the same kids. So we'd hang out with the same kids and I would continuously see him do this. And as I said, it frightened me. It concerned me. And still at the college level, being his older brother too, I didn't say anything because I was just afraid of his judgments. Well, again, to our listeners, it's not unusual that we don't say anything. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. We no. become protective. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've been told by um, doctors and therapists, you know, you protected your son too much. And it's like, but you never know what too much is or not enough. Um, and it's hard to know what to do. Uh, it's not like you could have gone into your brother's room and taken everything out of there. You could do that, but he's still going to find it until 
he either could have gotten to that place of comfort to say, yes, I'm going to give this all up. I'm going to change my path. Yeah. But not everybody has that strength, even though they saw the love around them. It's, it's a big part too, is, is he has to want to change, right? He has to want to change. And actually he did. He got clean for two and a half, three years. Wow. Yeah. And it was great. And we legitimately had this guard up for such a long time. I would wake up every day thinking to myself when he was struggling, am I going to get that phone call? Right. Am I going to get that? When my phone rang, it'd be my mother first thought or my father. It'd be, are they able to tell me my brother's dead? Right. Are they able to tell me something happened? And then when he got clean for those three years, eventually the guard was up here at first. And then it just lowered and lowered and lowered. And we just thought to ourselves, he's good. Unbelievable. He's doing unbelievable. He's doing great. Right. He's, he's, Helping others now through their struggle. He's what you, he was what you call a sponsor. Helping others go through their struggle. Everybody loved him. He looked great. He had the, that, that he had the look that he had in his, in his eyes and just the, the fillness of his face that he had before he started using and going through this tough time in his life. And just sounded great, was talking about marriage, was talking about having a kid. And it was just like, wow, he's back. He's back. And, you know, not too long after the new year, this, this whole happened, it happened. He passed, he died. And so there, there is a silver lining. People can heal from this. They can get better, but you said the right words. He had to want to get there. And even though he was clean for those three years, something still tugging at him and unbeknownst to anybody, you know, he relapsed. Mm. So we can't put the blame on family. And I hope people hear that loud and clear because I'm always hearing, well, Hey, you know, your son, your daughter, they got into drugs and you know, where were you mom and dad? And in some cases, mom and dad may be at fault but mostly the family is not at fault. The family is struggling along with the individual. And so it's time to start that open communication. It's got to start early. It has to be, it has to be ongoing, but it has to go as we go through the ages, knowing what to say and what not to say. And parents don't have a guide that tells us how to raise our kid. Yeah. Obviously, there's there were three boys in your family. Is that correct? Four. Okay. And so your parents saw three out of four dealing with life in a more respectful way. Yeah. Well, actually, my my older brother too, he's a drug addict too. Oh. So so it was they would help, you know. I mean, it was that's another story, but but he he's just, you know, they yeah, so they both kind of went at it, helping each other through these tough times and getting drugs. So, yeah, so two out of four. Yeah. Two out of four. And I'm sure your parents were the same to all four of you. And so that is an indication that mental health needs to be, needs to be key in our lives. Oh, yeah. We, we have to stop saying, you know, 
oh, she's going to have a nervous breakdown and, you know, look at that person and think that they're, you know, totally crazy. Well, when you carry too much on you, you might, okay? Um, carry too much on you, you might, it might lead to things that are not good for us. So mental health should not be a stigma the way it has been all these years. Um, I remember um, I moved from, my family moved from Michigan to Minnesota and then back to Michigan. And I finished the last three months of my senior year in Michigan. Talk about being depressed, talk about wanting to. And I said things like, oh, I, I wish I were dead. That's not what I meant because I never even thought about how I would get to that point. But I just didn't want to be in the situation and I was. I wanted to be back with my friends. I wanted to graduate with my friends. I wanted to go on to college with my friends. And um, my parents, the only training they had was to say to me, you know, suck it up and you'll be okay. And somehow I was lucky enough to suck it up and I was okay, but not everybody. And mm. I still think I have scars from that. But again, you know, I've gotten through life with making much better decisions. So is it, in addition to the book, Eric, is there another path that you want this to grow on? Is there, do you have any, you know, future plans? Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, my speaking, the book, and I would love to be able to eventually, when I get to the point, have a course, have a course that I can present to schools, have a course that kids can buy and just be able to see and be able to realize the importance of their decisions in that moment. Because for me, I just, I realized that when you're in that moment and you make like one decision, that's one decision, that's all it takes to just flip somebody's life upside down. That's all it takes. And I think Kids, even adults, we all need to realize that. It's just that one moment and that one time you make that one choice, your life gets flipped upside down. And in the moment, you may have no idea it did that. It may just put you on a path to where you make other decisions that bring you down a deeper road and other decisions because you made that one choice though, you're going down that road. Or it could just be you make that one choice and it fatally affects your life. So yeah, I... I on top of the book, I have dreams to make a course and help kids to make better decisions in these struggling, these tough, the stressful moments in life. Because well, let's get serious here. There are so many things out there. Social media. We talked about playing sports, having to run with a certain crowd, as you talked about, look right. a certain way, fit in so many stressors in these kids lives and I just firmly believe that if they can make healthy choices when they go through the tough moments like your sons went through being bullied in school then they can live a happy healthy life absolutely absolutely well to all the adults out there um know that it can happen to us as well. It's not just the youth. Yeah. Okay. Anything can happen to trigger you. Um, and you need to be aware of it and you need to have a support system. 
And there is a support system for everybody. Even though in your darkest moments, you think you're all alone, there is somebody out there. Um, you know, it may be as simple as calling the new 988 number, which is the new suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. um, all you have to remember is 988. You don't have to remember a long phone number. And even if it's not suicide, even if it's depression, anxiety that is triggering you, um, that is the fastest way to get a friendly voice to listen to you and possibly lead you in a better direction. Um, so I encourage everybody to do that. But in the meantime, I also encourage you to get Eric into your schools, to get to your sports teams, because if we can save one individual every time Eric talks to a group, yes. that is humongous. It's worth because it. Yes. Everybody's going to remember that one person who got help. And from that one person, it will multiply. For sure. So, Tell my listeners how they can find you. So my website is thedecisionswemake.com. They can find more information on there about my presentations, about how to book me, or you can email me at eric at thedecisionswemake.com. And if you just go on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, you just type in Eric Dario, I'll pop up. Okay. And for those of you listening, if you said, hey, he was talking too fast, I didn't get it, it will all be in the show notes. So go to the show notes, get the information. Even if you didn't listen to this whole podcast, make sure you get to the show notes because Eric is just a click away. And, you know, you probably didn't know that five minutes ago. So uh, yeah. I'm glad they do now. I want to wish you the best of luck, Eric. Um, I know a few other individuals who are doing something similar as you are. So I'm going to send you an email later today to share um, their names with you because we got to get this voice out there as large as we can. Um, and I wish I had had it when I was growing up. Yeah. Thank you so much. Karen, I just, I want to say before we get off here, it, it, it was a pleasure having this conversation with you. You know, these are the types of conversations that really do make an effect on the world, right? Absolutely. You talk about me going to speak at a school and just saving one life. But if someone can listen to this podcast and get something from it and change their life, and this just saves one life or helps that one person make a healthy choice instead of making that unhealthy choice. Well, it was definitely, it was worth it. So again, Karen, I really appreciate you bringing me on to your show here today. And I look forward to building a relationship with you and Absolutely. working with you to, to help love others. That. Well, have a great day, Eric. All right, um, you too. And stay cool. You know, you, yes. I know you're in a heat oh, wave. <laughs> that's 95 here. It, it's hot. I will. All right. Take care now. All right. Bye-bye.